Our scripture passage this morning is uh, taken from Romans chapter 7. We've been looking at the book of Romans for the past uh, couple of months, and uh, we're going to launch into chapter 7 this week. I'm going to be reading uh, Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. You can follow along on the screen in your Bibles uh, or in your bulletins as well. Or do do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Thus, a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she's free from that law, and if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, So that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that it is the most applicable book that we could ever read. So we pray that you would help us to understand it, that you would help us to understand the gospel even deeper so that we can apply it to our lives. We need your spirit to come, so speak to our hearts. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. As many of you know, for, for years and years and years, I was uh, a youth director uh, working with teenagers, and uh, I would often lead camp trips and weekend retreats and mission trips and all those things, and uh, it was a great job full of lots of adventure. I had a lot of fun in it for many years. And I always remember that there were, there were weekends, uh, there were times where we would get hundreds of kind of geeky and hormonal teenagers all in one room. Uh, we'd get them away from their families for a camp trip or for a weekend. And always in that first night, we'd get them in the room and the energy would be palpable. Everybody would be really excited. The, the music would be going and myself or a leader would get up in the room And we'd say, kids, this weekend there are no rules. And of course the kids would scream. They'd get excited, they'd be jumping up, and they'd say, there are no rules, but there are very strong suggestions. And then they would all groan a little bit after that. I thought about this week, that this week as I looked at this passage because there's something about our culture that has made the presence of rules feel very oppressive and restrictive. Just uh, think for a minute about the city of Las Vegas. You all have heard of Las Vegas, and and the marketing folks behind that uh, have marketed that city with one very simple slogan, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. In some ways, they've marketed themselves as a city that defies all rules. And there's something about that that feels liberating to us. There's something that's attractive to us. After all, our culture agrees that rules, what, are meant to be broken. We've all heard that before. And this sort of thinking really is everywhere. And it has even definitely seeped into the way that our culture tends to think about religion as well. We all know that the most common or the most popular thing that you hear in our culture today now is I don't consider myself to be a religious person. 
I consider myself to be a spiritual person. So often when someone says that to me, I say, well, well tell me what, what do you mean by that when you say that? And they often says, well, religion feels too restrictive. It feels like a bunch of rules. And to, to be spiritual is just to feel liberated and have all sorts of freedom. I think in some ways this has even impact, impacted the way that we tell the story of Christianity to people. Maybe you've said it, I know I've said it, but we've often heard it said that Christianity is not about a bunch of rules. Instead, it is about a relationship. And this, of course, is true. I believe it. I've said that to others. But if you say that or if I say that to someone, then we better not let them read the Bible at all. Because if they open the Bible they will find something very different. They will find something that you'll eventually need to explain. And why is that? Well, because the Bible from start to finish is actually full of rules. Adam and Eve were given just one very simple rule in the Garden of Eden. Moses, when he went up on Mount Sinai, came back down with 10 commandments for God's people And Jesus, when he came in the Sermon on the Mount, didn't let us off the hook when it came to the rules. He actually helped us to see that the demands of the law and those rules are far deeper than we could ever even realize. So what do we make sense of all these rules? What do we do do to make sense of all the laws that are in the Bible? Well, Paul, here in the book of Romans, this book that's full of these mysterious absolutes, talks about the law multiple times. And then when you get to chapter 7, he really tackles this issue of the law and the rules of the Bible head on. And when we look at this passage, we really see three things. We see, one, the reality of the law, two, the results of the law, and then finally, the release of the law. The first thing we see is the reality of it. Look at verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? Now, I'm going to say something that that is not very uh, PC, or it's not going to sound very PC when I say this, and it's going to come off kind of harsh or unkind, but give me a moment to explain what I mean. And the statement is this, we live in a world that is full of fools, All right, here's what I mean by that. I don't mean to somehow sound that I am better than anybody else or wiser than anyone else. I'm simply saying something that I believe is a very profoundly biblical thing to say. Psalm 14 and both Psalm 53 say this, a fool says in his heart that there is no God. Notice that it doesn't say a fool says in his mind or his intellect that there is no God. Instead, it says a fool says in his heart that there is no God. You see, most people I run into are willing to intellectually argue or agree that there probably maybe sort of is a God that out, who is out there. They certainly are not willing to say that there is no God. But most people, however, do not live as if there is God, including me most days. You see, the heart is the seat of who we are. It's the very center of us. It's the place where the fullness of our lives really spring from. So when this passage says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God, it really means something. A fool is one who doesn't live as if there is a God. 
Why is this so much harder or so much deeper to understand? Well, because if there really is a God who is in control, a God who created all things, then that means that I am accountable to him. It means that he probably has a standard by which I am supposed to live my life by. And that, for many, is when they want to beg off. That's something that becomes too much to handle. I will intellectually, many people say this, I'll intellectually assent that there is a God, but the idea that he has a standard that I have to put my heart in line with, well, that is just too much for them to sign on for. And what the Bible says is that to live this way is to walk the path of a fool. You see, the Bible couldn't be much clearer on this issue. The Bible says that there is a God. He has a standard that we are accountable to, and he communicates that standard to us in his law. If you want to know what God's character looks like, then look at his law. If you want to know how to live, what God's will is for your life, what are his standards for you, then you look at the law. If you want to know how to merit favor, eternal favor with God, then you look at the law. If you want to know how to live according to how you were designed, then look to the law. My wife and I had to buy a car a couple weeks ago. We got in it for the first time. We didn't know how to even operate. We even had to turn the car on. We had to go to the manual and look at the manual. What is the manual? It is a book designed by the car's creators that tell us how to optimally use this vehicle. And friends, this is what the law does for us. It shows us how to live. But it is much more than just strong suggestions. It is the very standard that we are held accountable to. For as long as we are alive, we are bound to this law. And this is, why, this is what Paul is saying here in verse 1. Whether we choose to accept it or not, whether we choose to submit to it or not, God's law is real and we are bound to it. Paul even uses a powerful image here. He says we are actually married to it. God's law is real. It's the reality that we live under. But we also see the results of this law. Listen to Paul's illustration here in verse 2. Thus, a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Think back, if you're married, think back uh, to your marriage. And what a happy day that was. I don't know about you, but when I got married, I submitted myself to a new law. That's what we do when we get married. And that law says that we will be singularly devoted to this one man or to this one woman. And when we submit ourselves to that law, we say something really significant. We say, till death do us part. This is the law that we submit ourselves to on that altar, and the only thing that will remove this standard from us, it's a pretty bold thing to say, the only thing that will remove this standard from us is our own death. Death is the only thing that cancels that contract. If I break that law, if I go live with another person, I am condemned by that law, and I am declared an adulterer. 
This is what laws are. This is what they do. They affirm those people who keep them, and they condemn those who break them. And the same is true with God's law. Blessings come to those who keep them, and condemnation goes to those who break them. Malcolm Muggeridge, aside from having a really great name, was a British journalist and an author. He was also a soldier and a spy for the British government during World War II, and and as a result of that, witnessed all sorts of atrocities related to the Holocaust. He wrote this in response one day. He said, The depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable reality, but at the same time the most intellectually resisted fact. See, he was writing that mankind is sinful and it's depraved. All we have to do to verify that or to find evidence for that is to turn on the evening news or just consult any relationship that you live in in your life. We can prove this fact a million times every day. Well, how do we know that those things are sin? Well, the law tells us so. And yet, we don't want to hear about it. We'd rather plug the ears of our heart and we would rather ignore this reality. But even though we may resist it with every ounce of our being, it doesn't make it any less true. The Bible is clear that we are lawbreakers. We have broken God's standard. Verse 5, so for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. See, because we are lawbreakers, we bear the fruit of death. We stand condemned. Well, in some ways, we, we have to see this bad news. We have to see the reality of the law. We have to see the result of that law before we can really understand the good news of God, and that is the release from the law. Verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. See, what Paul's argument here is that the only way to be released from the law is to die to it. If we say, till death to us part, it means that death is our only way out of this. The only way out from under the condemnation and the penalty that we deserve from the law is to die to it. And this, friends, is why Jesus came. He took the condemnation and the penalty for us in his death on the cross. He was our propitiation. He was our substitute. What the gospel tells us is that by faith we are united to him. His death was our death. And we have now been released from the condemnation and the penalty of the law. We are no longer its slave. Verse 6, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. Christ, the only innocent one, took the condemnation and penalty as if he himself was a lawbreaker. And he did it so that you and I could be released. 
so that we can be given new life by the Spirit, not because we earned it, we earned death according to the law, but because we are gifted it by faith. If you've received this gift, then you've been given a new life. You don't have to earn God's favor. You already have it. You died with him. You are united with him. You've been released from the condemnation of that law. Your record was bad. Mine was too. You fell short of the standard. I fell short of the standard. And so Jesus gives us his record. His perfection becomes ours. You've been released. You've been freed. The phrase that that I most appreciate in this entire passage is is a little phrase that's found in verse 4. You have died to the law so that you might belong to another. What that tells me is that you and I belong to Christ. He is yours and you are his. You see, in the final judgment, I don't know how this is all going to play out, but I imagine it this way. In the final judgment, all of humanity will stand before God and we will be accountable for how we lived our lives. All of our secret thoughts and our deeds should condemn us before God, the great judge. The law condemns us. We have fallen short. But just as God the Father and judge stands ready to condemn, Jesus stands up, points to us, and says, that one belongs to me. And friends, that is good news. This isn't just a, be- a begrudgingly belonging. I think back to when I was on the, on the schoolyard. I was terrible at basketball. So whenever they were picking basketball teams, I was always the, the last one to be picked. And the team captain would always have to begrudgingly belong to me on his team. But that's not what this is, not with Jesus. This is a joyful belonging. This is a father, this is a mother watching their son or daughter perform and tapping everybody around them saying, that's my son, that's my daughter, whom I love and who I am proud of. Friends, we have been adopted. We are sons and daughters of the king. We belong to him and he delights in us. I don't know if you paid attention to the news, and this is going to date me a little bit, but a rock star who was really popular when I was a kid uh, tragically died this week. Uh, I think it was on Wednesday, and uh, they discovered his body, and it appears as if he had uh, committed suicide. So they began to kind of look back at what happened that day, and they looked to a concert that he had performed that very night. And the very last song that he performed was a song that was, uh, uh, that was by Led Zeppelin. And the song was called uh, In My Time of Dying. And many people saw this and, and went back and looked at the lyric. And one of the lyrics in that song says this, Jesus going to make up my dying bed. Meet me, Jesus, meet me. Meet me in the middle of the air. And if my wings should fail me, Lord, please meet me with another pair. Friends, we could never make it to God. The law condemns us. Those wings will never help us to fly. They will always fail us. And so Jesus decided to come down and meet us, and we belong to him. Let's pray.